This is MindSpeak. Everything you thought you knew about health is about to be turned on its head. I'm Holly Higgins, a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I'm here to show you how your mind can heal your body, your body can heal your mind, and no matter what you've been told, you are in the driver's seat of your life. Let's go. So welcome back to the show. If you've been listening to Mind Speak for a while, you probably know that the tagline is your mind can heal your body and your body can heal your mind. And no matter what you've been told, you are in the driver's seat of your own life. And I just so happen to have the very perfect guest on the show today to sum up that tagline. Really couldn't think of a better person to, to sum up like my mission for this show. So today we have Dawson Church, PhD. He is an award-winning author whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, has been hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in linking emotions and genetics. And his most recent book, which I just devoured, Mind to Matter, reviews the science of peak mental states he has conducted dozens of clinical trials. He founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. And he shares how to apply the breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and personal performance through EFT Universe, which is one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. And that's all we can fit about Dawson into a teeny tiny paragraph. But the truth about Dawson is that he is basically a full-blown Renaissance man. So Dawson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Holly. And yeah, our curiosity takes us places we follow, our intuition guides us, and it's amazing what we can conceive of and do. Absolutely. When you follow those rabbit holes. So I'm familiar with your work, Dawson. I'm familiar with your latest book, Mind to Matter. But for somebody who isn't, can you tell us why you wrote Mind to Matter? Who is the message of that book for? Well, I was really surprised when I began to look into this whole question, Holly. And what I was attempting to do when I began the book was provide a scientific guide to manifestation and lay out exactly which capabilities of manifestation were scientifically backed and, and reasonable. And so, for example, right now I'm sitting in my office. It's a nice space. It has a beautiful garden view out the window. And so I am drinking water out of a, out of a water container. And I manifested that water by walking outside to the kitchen and filling up the water glass. Now, that kind of manifestation doesn't seem like a big deal to most people, and it isn't. Everyone can do simple things like feed themselves and dress themselves and get water. And we're manifesting these things like we're breathing all the time. And then at the other end of the spectrum, imagine being able to think about a pink elephant and suddenly there's one in the room in front of me all <laughs> five times. That's not possible. And so I said, okay, there are things that aren't possible. I can't like have a vacation home on Saturn. I can't uh, manifest a, uh, a skyscraper in the middle of my garden, but I can manifest water. So there are these things that are obvious, everyone does them, and there are things that are impossible. And so what's the middle ground? What can I reasonably expect to manifest by thought alone in my life? 
And so I thought when I began the book that I'd find there were quite a few things. Obviously, there's no controversy or doubt that I manifest molecules in my body. If I think a stressful thought, think a negative thought, think a pessimistic thought, I manifest molecules like cortisol. I'm changing genes. I'm literally turning genes on and off by my thoughts when I do that. And those thoughts are interacting with those genes, which then in turn code for proteins and steroids and hormones and other, other kinds of things in our body. So by awareness alone, I'm definitely changing molecules in my body every single moment. But what can I do beyond that? What molecules do I change? What circumstances do I affect outside of me? And when I got knee deep into the science of that, Holly, it began to look much more, much, much closer to the pink elephant than I ever realized. And I, I began to read studies that were astonishing, showing that people can literally affect the four fundamental forces of physics, the strong and weak nuclear force, gravity, and electromagnetism with consciousness alone. So um, it, it's quite remarkable what we can do with our minds and awareness. And most of us are not taking advantage of, of the full spectrum of our creative abilities. So I wrote Mind to Matter to give people a really clear scientific guide to what you can realistically expect to manifest. And I just, uh, spoiler alert, it's much closer to the pink elephant than it is to <laughs> a glass of water. <laughs> oh, I have to say, so first of all, I love your book, but I appreciate that so much because I used to be a very different person than I am now. I used to be extremely skeptical. And, you know, I watched the movie, The Secret, and uh, all about manifestation. And I read the book and I thought, oh, that's baloney. And now... I'm hardcore. Now I'm a hardcore believer in manifestation. And I was joking with you before we got started that I think I manifested you onto my podcast. But I really appreciate what you've done with this book because so many people don't even open their minds to the possibility that they can be, you know, amazing manifestors because they're just like, well, one night I thought about a convertible and it wasn't in my yard the next day. So this stuff must just not work. You know, and the tragedy is that people believe all these scripts. I teach a lot of live workshops, mostly EFT workshops, but some called Thoughts to Things. And I, talk, I, I, I demonstrate uh, ways in which we can manifest things in that, that workshop. And um, the tragedy is that most people live 60, 80, 100, 120 years, however long they live. And they are creating and they are believing out of that limited awareness. And so in my live workshops, they come up to the front and say to me things like, well, I can't do this because, and then they have a whole list of reasons why they have to be, be limited, because I was abused as a child, because my family can't afford this, because I have this limiting gene. I had one friend of mine who, um, maybe I'll tell you her whole story actually, but she, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, and she called me and emailed me in a panic one week and said, uh, I've, I've got back to the hospital. They've done these thermography scans. There's a huge tumor five centimeters across in my right breast. All the lymph nodes under my right armpit are swollen, full of cancer. So it's metastasized to my lymph, lymph system, which can travel all over my body. And worst of all, I've had a gene test that shows me that I have eight defective genes. And so here's somebody believing that their genetics dooms them and that because they have these eight defective genes, some of which predispose them to breast cancer, that they are going to die. 
And so um, this particular friend of mine, her name is Beth Meisner, and she just has, has published a book about her experiences. So I, I have lots of stories in mind to matter of people like Beth, but she decided when she got that diagnosis in um, March of 2017, that she was gonna, before she did any conventional therapies, she was going to work with energy. So she began to meditate daily. She cleaned up all of the stress in her life, turned off all of her alerts, quit all the work she was doing, got rid of every possible source of negativity and stress in her life, uh, went to Mexico, got Laetrile, went to a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, got high dose vitamin C, all kinds of physical interventions, but huge number of energy ones, like she got energy healing, she did the energy qigong, we did EFT tapping acupressure with her remotely. And so she got the diagnosis in, in, in March, and that's when she called me with this panic saying, you know, I have these eight effective genes. I said to her, Beth, you know, you have 24,000 genes in your body. So let's do the math here. That means that you have 23,992 genes that are just perfect. <laughs> let's work for those. So we did energy healing with her. She did all this energy work on her, herself. Went back to the cancer clinic eight weeks later in May of 2017. And all of the lymph nodes She's telling me I'm getting chills talking about her story because I, I mean, I'm just so, so amazed by the way people do, do these things with energy. But she, she um, all the lymph nodes under her right armpit were completely clear, free of cancer, and the tumor had shrunk from five centimeters to 1.4 centimeters. And later on, it, it went away completely. She had some blood tests a couple of months later, and there was not a trace of cancer in Beth's body. So um, our minds can cause stress and create molecules like cortisol, which degrade our bodies. Our minds alone, our consciousness, our energy can create all kinds of healing molecules and create an internal environment in which cancer literally cannot thrive. So um, our ability to create miracles in our lives, again, is much closer to the pink elephant than it is to the glass of water. Mm, definitely. I'm, I'm thrilled for, you said her name is Beth. I'm thrilled for her and, and thank you for sharing her story. And, and I believe it. I mean, I used to be diagnosed with 10 different mood disorders. I was on 10 different medications, was told the best I could do was manage them. And I completely healed myself because I decided not to believe in the stories I was being told anymore. And it's so interesting when, so I'm a hypnotherapist and um, sometimes I'll do sessions around physical illness or health conditions. And when I regress people back, to the cause, the root, and the reason of why they are still struggling with a health condition, often their mind will take them back to a scene when a healthcare practitioner told them, this condition is permanent, it's genetic, there's nothing we can do about it. So I absolutely believe in the healing power of the mind. And you have those scripts where they're given to you by a healthcare practitioner who gives you a diagnosis. Like when she got that diagnosis, there was a, a moment she just was unable to even wrap her mind around it. Um, but it could well be uh, a, a parent, a uh, teacher who said, you're no good at math, you can't draw, uh, you couldn't hold a note in a paper bag, um, you are no good at directions. Um, so we hear all these things from people when we're growing up and we believe them. Uh, I tell the story in my, I told several stories like this in Mind to Matter, but how I believed growing up that I was bad at math because I had a math teacher in high school who had who, who who divided her class into three groups so 
the gifted math students were in the front row, the ones who were terrible were in the back row, <clears throat> and then all the middling students were in the middle. So she gave all her attention to the ones in front who were the math geniuses and stars, and then she gave no attention to the ones in the back who basically didn't really care either. And so Holly, in that scheme of things with the gifted kids in the front and the bad math students in the back and the middling ones in the middle, you'll have a guess where I was. <laughs> mm, where were you? I had a special section reserved for me in the back of the class behind the bad math kids. <laughs> the back, back, back. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone knew, my parents knew I was bad at math, the whole family was just a joke. I couldn't add two and two, you know, so everyone knew that. Well, so, so, <laughs> so now I am the, I'm the editor of a peer-reviewed journal and I email statisticians and point out the errors in their math. People with two PhDs sometimes. And I'm discovered I'm not only, not only am I not bad at math, I'm actually quite gifted at math, but I believe that story. But I think how many kids believe they can't do art, can't do math, can't sing, can't dance, can't do, can't, can't live their dreams. And so people in my live workshop sit there and tell me their story, a limitation. And Holly, it's just not true. And they'll carry that to their grave unless someone like you or any of the other gifted helpers there are challenge those stories. And so in Mind to Matter, I'm going to challenge you. I'm not just going to, this, this won't be a book that's going to be just compelling science and inspiring stories. It's going to ask you over and over and over again, what's your limiting story about your health, about your money, about the amount of love you can have in, in, in your life. I don't talk about orgasms in the book, but I'm, <laughs> I'm working on another book about orgasms and about how- Oh my goodness. Called, oh yeah, it's called Bliss Brain and about how literally if you, and if it's, it'll be about a year before it's published, but um, in Bliss Brain, I'm talking about how many of the chemicals we get in our brains, the neurotransmitters and hormones during our states of deep meditation are the same ones we have during orgasm. And so you're having these orgasmically happy experiences. Most people don't have that kind of pleasure and joy in their lives. And so in our relationships, in our money, in our careers, in our health, we're content with so such small slices of what's possible. And in Mind to Matter, I'm just challenging people over and over and over again. Don't believe that old story from your tribe. Don't believe that diagnosis from your doctor. Don't believe that thing people used to say about you as a kid because almost all of these stories are just not true. And if we just spend our lives living them out, all we've done is reinforce other people's low expectations of our, us from when we were little, and we never claim our full potential. So what I've seen over and over again, Holly, is when people challenge those assumptions, when we tap away, we're using EFT tapping, or we meditate away, or we use grounding, or any of the 30 other techniques in mind to matter to really shift people's awareness. They shift their consciousness and they think they're going to work on cancer. Like Beth thought she was working on cancer. And what Beth found though, was that everything in her life improved. Every single domain of her life got better. So the cancer or the bankruptcy or the divorce is just what gets you into doing therapy or having a life coach or, or getting a session of Reiki, whatever it might be. It is you actually that that limitation is actually your gift. It's getting you into a live workshop. It's getting you propelled forward to, to seek help. And then when you start to challenge those old assumptions and then open yourself to the fullness of what you can be, you find that you are infinitely more and many other parts of your life open up as well. So that's a lot of what Mind to Matter is doing.
Amen. I couldn't love that more. So two things. First of all, we've got to have you back on the show when your other book, when your new book about <laughs> orgasms comes out, because I want to talk about that for sure. Um, and I always used to have the story. I was bad at math too. I'm working on reframing that. I'm wondering if you would mind briefly sharing the story about you and your art and your watercolors and how what you didn't know about art actually had a big role in how you were successful. Can you tell that? Because I have a specific question about that story. That was too funny. So uh, I also grew up with knowing that I was bad at art. And uh, when I was, when I was, I think, five years old, I was in kindergarten. And I, our assignment was to draw a picture of a cowboy. And so we just moved from England to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And so I drew my best version of a cowboy, five years old, four years old, and took it home and showed my mother. And she just ridiculed the picture. She just pull, pulled her arms into grotesque ways and danced around the house, hooting with laughter and <laughs> a terrible, terrible drawing. So um, I, I actually never drew another human figure for like 40 years. 40 years, I just never drew any. I, I drew planes and tanks and, and cars and things, but never another human figure. And then um, I took a watercolor class when I was, I think, 45 or something like that, and 45 years old. And, and I discovered within one day of this brief class at the local university that I could just paint. I could paint. I could draw. I, I could do perspective. I could do all these things. And so um, I, uh, and being methodical and a scientific kind of person, I, I would number my paintings. So when I had eight paintings, numbered one through eight, I took them into a local little art gallery coffee shop and I said, I, you know, can I display them here? And the guy said, wow, these are great. And, you know, yeah, please have, have a, a little one man show. And I want you to have 32 paintings here in, uh, in three weeks or three, three months, whatever it was, whatever the time frame was. And I walked out feeling really panicky because he didn't realize I only had eight. <laughs> and I had, had, I had somehow manifest, you know, 30, 30 more in a very short period of time. And so I began to, to paint and eventually did have enough to, to fill the gallery. But I had this one man show and then I, I was walking past the city council office and I walked into the city council. There's this big, beautiful, huge new space in, in Northern California where I live, met the person in charge of the space there and, and got another one man show uh, in this very prestigious location. And one of my friends came to that second one-man show, which happened maybe a year after the first one. And this woman had been doing fused glass art, beautiful art in San Francisco for like 30 years. And she said to me, wow, you've got a one-man show. She said, I, I've been doing this art, my art for, for how many years it was, 30 years or something. And I've never had a one woman show. And I thought, geez, I'm glad I didn't know that, that it was hard to do when I walked into the city council and just you know, casually talked to somebody and had a one man show lined up. Another woman walked in and said, she said, I'm a watercolorist. I do mostly landscapes because what you're doing, Dawson, is you're painting faces in watercolor and faces are the hardest thing to paint in watercolor. And I got like little, just a pit of, pit of my stomach was all churning. It's like, 
watch. She's like, I didn't know that. I'm so glad I didn't know that faces are so hard because I just learned to paint faces and I, I, I just thought they were easy. And I tell stories in the book like this, Holly, about like a, a, a freshman, uh, no, a grad student at MIT who walked into a lab and was told that they, one of the jobs that they do in that lab is they precipitate sodium crystals out of super saturated solution. So in his first day in the lab, he just did that. And the lab supervisor walked in and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I heard one of the things you do here in this lab is you precipitate sodium crystals out of the solution. She said, but, but that's impossible. It takes, it takes usually months of practice. It's so difficult to do. So this young graduate student just walked in there on his first day and did it, not, not getting the memo that it was hard. And so, so much of what we believe about ourselves in the world is inherited from that mother who ridiculed you or that teacher who put you down or the bully who was mean to you. Uh, and it's not what is true for you. So I really encourage people to, I tell stories like that throughout the book of the MIT freshmen and other people like that. Because I want, I, want, I want to really, again, be challenging our stories of limitation. Mm, I love I love all the stories in the book, but I, I especially love the one about your art because it was what you didn't know. It was that beautiful naivete that served you to your advantage. And I, um, you know, I, I coach a lot of people and something that I hear from a lot of people, whether it's uh, their business or their health or relationships or whatever, they always, they say to me in whispers, you know, why is so-and-so out there so much more successful than I am? Because I actually know I'm more smart and I'm more talented and more capable than that, capable than that person, but they're getting all the success. And why is that? And usually if you dig down, it's because that person on some level, to, to be frank, is like a little bit clueless, but that cluelessness is working to their advantage. <laughs> the, the, the benefits of, of ignorance in, uh, in that case. Yeah. And so, the, the main thing is that you want to really listen for your limiting self-talk. Whenever you hear yourself saying things like, I can't do that, or I'm limited by this factor, or whatever it might be, I mean, there may be some truth to that, and yet many of those, those assertions are not true. So uh, the, the goal is to, um, to train yourself to listen for those things, and when you find them, to challenge them. Mm, so good. You talk a lot about how what we focus on expands. And you know, that's the basic law of the track of attraction, speaking of pink elephants and Corvettes and all of that. But making the law of attraction practical, I want to talk about how when we are sick or depressed or anxious or in a state of dis-ease, in order to get well, we really need to raise our vibration and our feelings and our emotions in order to feel better. But there's this conundrum. We need to focus on the positive. We need to raise our vibration. But when we are in these low states, it's so hard to do that when our material reality or when our symptoms show us the opposite. So how do you suggest we work with this when you know, we're, we're ill or we're depressed or everything's going wrong, how can we turn our attention to the positive when reality just seems to reflect the opposite of that? It's very difficult and people come in, come in with stories about uh, a, a part of their, their life and then they've had experiences to prove it. Like one man in one of my, one of my workshops had this belief, core belief that you can't trust people. The world's an unsafe place. You can't trust anybody. And we began to dig deep into that. And he'd had many experiences to prove that. So he'd gotten married to his high school sweetheart. 
at the age of 18. And then at 26, he found that she was cheating on him. And so they'd gotten divorced and he'd lost his house, his very first house in the course of that. So he had this really clear piece of evidence. You can't trust people who were close, close to you that she'd been cheating on him for many, many years. And so um, he had this evidence from the outside world that was the fact. Then it, when in his 30s, he'd had a business partnership with a partner and the partner had embezzled funds and eventually the, the company went under, leaving him holding the bag for all, all its debts. So now he has this, this, this example from his relationship life, a second one from business life, a third one from his money life. And so throughout his life, he's been having experiences that reinforce his core belief that you can't trust anyone. And so he can point to all these stories, all these facts. Well, look, this is true. You can't trust anyone because look what happened with my marriage and with my money and with my, my partnership and so on. So people, and you then say things like the world is an abundant place. The world is a benevolent universe. The world is full of love for you. And people point to these circumstances and say, that's just not true. And I have many events to prove it. So with him, we, we did this exercise where we looked at his body. So at the EFT tapping workshops, we really tune into people's bodies and see where these messages are held in their bodies and turn out to be in his heart. And we then looked at the earliest time in his life when he had that same physical sensation in his heart. And it turned out to be when he was five years old and at the beach with his mother and father and elder brother. And his older brother dunked him in the water near the mother and father and uh, he really was, was kind of really struggling as his older brother was holding his head, head down under the water. But his other brother let him bob up, bob, bob up to the surface again. Then his older brother dunked him a second time and held him there for a long time to where his nose and mouth filled up with water. He began to drown. He was terrified, opened his mouth to scream, but of course took in more water and, um, and almost passed out. And then he ran to his mother and father and they just blamed him. They said, don't provoke your older brother, don't be a tattletale. And they, um, they, they blamed him. So that turned out to be the source, the, that big incident turned out to be the source of this lifetime pattern of believing you can't trust anybody. We tapped that pattern away. We used EFT tapping. We released all the emotional trauma stored in his body and that feeling in his heart completely shifted and went away. And what we find happens in these workshops and reading the books and doing all of those 30 exercises in mind to matter is that when you do this and shift the physical body and shift your story, then you start to manifest very differently. One woman who changed her belief and her, her particular belief was that all the good men had taken. She was like in her 30s, wanted to get married and wanted a relationship, and, but she had this belief. And so one of our therapists worked with her and, and helped her find again the childhood stuff, tap it all the way. And she was in a relationship within a few weeks because what happens is when you, when you have these, these beliefs, they're not just abstractions, they're literally patterns of neural firing and wiring in your brain. And I talk a lot about the primary brain waves, delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma in the book and about how we hook people up to EEGs and we measure these brain waves. So there's a lot of, a lot of MRI and EEG evidence in the book for how shifts in consciousness change our brain waves. And it turns out when you change your brain waves and release those limiting beliefs, that your brain waves shift dramatically. And then you no longer have the energetic structure 
or the brain firing structure which reinforces them. So then people do go on to find their husband or they do go on to find their wife or a trustworthy person because they've now changed their brains. But you have to change your brain in the absence of evidence from the outside, which is really difficult. So here this guy has had a whole succession of bad experiences, all this evidence. How do you change your brain waves when you have had all this reinforcement of those early childhood negative experiences. And it's hard to do that. It's very difficult to do that. And that's why consistency is the key. You have to establish new patterns of neural firing and neural wiring. In my new book, This Brain, I go into this in a lot of depth about how you shift those states by looking at, for example, the brain function of advanced Tibetan masters and how they shift those states. Because they, you know, they, they have all the usual childhood traumas growing up but they're able to reach extraordinary brain states and then trigger that neural firing to produce those brain traits. And so once you produce this new pattern of firing with deep meditation, by using EFE to tap away all those old traumas, using the, all the other wonderful tools that are available in this whole field of healing, then you start to have new patterns of firing. When you have those new patterns of firing in your brain, you then produce new circumstances outside your body but it takes changing your consciousness first if you look for fixes in the external world without changing your consciousness all you'll do is reinforce the old patterns in your consciousness but if you change your consciousness then you start to find that a whole bunch of things outside of your your body change and your 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 experience change and the book is just packed with stories of people who changed their financial story and manifested huge amounts of money, changed their relationship story, and manifested delight in relationships, changed their body story, and went like that from being really sick to being really well. And it's remarkable how, how much change consciousness alone is able to produce inside our bodies and outside of us in, in the real world. So that's where it all begins. I'm not saying we need to never make a change in the outside world, Maybe you do need to quit your job. Maybe you do need to move to a new city, but usually you need to change your consciousness. And if you move to a new city without changing your consciousness, you're just hauling along your same old consciousness with you. You'll just recreate your own circumstance, old circumstances in the new city. Or same thing with relationships. My wife and I are teaching a relationship course uh, to coincide with Valentine's Day. And we, we, we train people because we find that unless they change their consciousness, they get divorced and find a new man or woman or whoever it is they're looking for, and then simply recreate the same relationship they had with the old person. So it all begins in consciousness, and that's the main message of mind to matter. Mm, it's that saying, wherever you go, there you are. So you say, I want to move from Texas to New York City because everything's going to be better in New York City. No, you're just going to create, recreate your Texas circumstances if you don't do that work on the level of consciousness first. And it's so important what you said about we need to go in and we need to heal and release and let go of the roots You know, with, tap, with tools like EFT tapping, energy work, hypnotherapy, You know, whatever tool it is that we're using to go in, access, find the original emotional root cause and release it before trying to change our focus on the outside world. Because what I see a lot of people do is they say, oh, I'm sick and I heard about this law of attraction. So I'm just going to sit here and say, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm perfectly healthy without ever really going in and releasing 
those emotions, then it becomes like a form of emotional bypass. But the process that you're describing, it's the releasing, it's the healing, and then it's the rewiring. And I wish we could do the bypassing, but uh, I've written two books on PTSD. One is called Psychological Trauma, Healing Its Roots in Body, Brain, and Memory. And it's used as a textbook by, for quite a few courses because it's really short, but it really lays out the neuroscience of PTSD. And research is, is crystal clear that you cannot do the bypassing and, and heal. If you do the bypassing and try and ignore the trauma in your childhood, in your body, then it becomes the dark side, the shadow side, and it sabotages your attempts to grow and, and get better. And it keeps on putting up signals that it's there to capture your attention. And those signals are often not very pleasant. They're often relationship disasters, mental disasters, health disasters. And so you have to, and this is just shown in a lot of research, you have to go in there and you have to heal the trauma of your past. And then you move to transcendence. If you try and do what so many gurus do. I mean, we just had these, this horrible example of, you know, I, why, why won't you mention any names? We've had several scandals just in the last 12 months of hugely uh, popular, internationally renowned spiritual teachers who've been caught sleeping with their students, sleeping with their children, um, embezzling money from their followers, abusing people uh, verbally or physically. And it's not just in the last year. Go back 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you find that same pattern of people who are on the light side, who are trying to be in the light, who are trying to transcend, who are trying to, who, who are these shining examples in public, and then in private, they have all this behavior that is the opposite, and that's the shadow side. And research is absolutely clear that you have to go and do that trauma release work. So that's why I teach both EFT, tapping, and meditation. Because if you just meditate, right? I have a friend actually getting divorced now, and she and her husband were very focused on all this kind of transcendence, really, really focused on, on a lot of doing a lot of uh, talk therapy work and really fig figuring out their problems mentally, never went in there and healed their trauma. And then again, uh, it just resulted in years of misery followed by divorce. So you there is no substitute for doing this. And again, that's not my opinion. That's the result of a lot of clinical trials. Mm, can you repeat the name of the PTSD books that you mentioned? that you worked on? Yeah. So I've, I've, written, I've written 10 books um, on EFT tapping. Uh, the, the biggest, m most well-known one is the EFT manual, but I also wrote EFT for PTSD, EFT for love relationships, and several others, because um, I, I asked myself, how do people suffer the most? And they suffer a lot through things like health challenges, uh, psychological trauma, and relationships. So I wrote EFT for weight loss, and I did a ton of research on EFT for PTSD, wrote that book. But then this particular book is a 100-page summary of the latest neuroscience about PTSD. And it, 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 it summarizes about 10,000 pages of textbooks on PTSD into just 100 pages. And it's called Psychological Trauma. And the subtitle is Healing Its Roots in Body, Brain, and Memory. And it is so vital that we dig down in there and do that as we are seeking to move to the next level. And again, uh, you, need, you need both. You need both that way of releasing all of that trauma and the way of motivating yourself, inspiring yourself, moving in these elevated states that meditation will take you to. 
I absolutely agree. It's so important to be trauma-informed in that way. Um, and, and I agree, we need both sides of the coin. We need to go back and we need to recognize and heal and release. But in order to move forward, we can't stay stuck in the energy of the past. We also need to create an intentional new future. So I love that you incorporate both. Oh, so good. I want to talk about something really interesting. In your book, you talk about the research of Harold Saxton Burr from Yale School of Medicine and his discovery that frequency or the electromagnetic signature of illness actually shows up in the energy field before it shows up in the body. And that points to the fact that energy actually creates the template for matter or disease to manifest and not vice versa. Can you share a little bit more about this concept with our listeners of disease appearing in the energy field before it ever appears in the body? Yeah, and I'll follow that by talking about how healing appears in the field <clears throat> before it appears in the body. And mm. so th this is the chicken and egg uh, question is which came first, the chicken or the egg? And so Harold Saxton Burr was just an absolute genius, uh, way ahead of his time. And in the 1930s, he was doing these experiments, Holly, and I, I'll try and paint a picture of how he did this. So he was really interested in the energy fields of animals and how they develop. And so what he was doing, he was, he was getting the, the, the eggs of salamanders, or in some experiments, chickens. And when they were just one cell big, living egg, fertilized egg, single cell, he was measuring the electrical charge on that cell and determining which was the positive, and which was the negative pole. And he would make a tiny little like tattoo on the positive end of the egg. And <clears throat> so he knew as the creature grew, which was the positive. So eventually this, this grown salamander with a little tattoo and the tattoo was always on its head. So the head is always positive and the tail is always negative. And in Mind to Matter, I have a diagram. I have about 100 diagrams in the book because I really believe in visual learning. So I have a ton of, of illustrations in the book. And so these salamanders or chicks wound up with a little tattoo on the crown of their head where there was a positive charge. And if you have to realize that, like for example, when salamanders have a, lose a leg, they can regrow the entire leg. And he found putting them, looking at their electromagnetic fields, that he found that the template of the leg was there in energy, even when it wasn't there physically. And that when the physical leg was regrowing, it grew along the template of the scaffold of energy provided by the energy field. He then turned his attention in his later work after the Second World War to attempting to figure out how energy worked in human beings. And he did a study, which is kind of this crowning achievement of women with uterine cancer. And he looked at the electrical charge on, women, on women's uteruses who had cancer and women who were cancer-free. And he found that they had different charges. They, 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 they charge did not flow the same way in a healthy uterus as in a cancerous uterus. So that was interesting. But what was really amazing was he found a whole bunch of women who had perfectly healthy uteruses, no trace of cancer, but they had the electromagnetic signature of cancer. So again, the energy of cancer in those uteruses, but no cancer markers whatsoever. Those women later on, sometimes years later, developed cancer. So it was clear from those 
experiments, that it was energy that was providing the impetus for later on having cancer. So we, we know that there were these energy diagnostic methods. You might, for example, find things showing up in your electrical field using an EEG before they show up as physical symptoms or using an MRI. We can see all kinds of stuff that isn't gonna show up physically for a while. We can see areas of impeded circulation and other physical signs before they show up in, in matter. But also positive signs can happen as earlier than they show up in matter. So it's not just the negative stuff, it's also the positive stuff. And for example, one researcher looked at shifts in the electromagnetic fields of people who are meditating. And she found that they had changes to their fields, that their fields with certain kinds of meditation were producing positive ratios of brain waves. And again, I, talk, I get knee deep into brain waves in, in, in Bliss Brain, the new book. I give a brief overview of them in Mind to Matter. And so we're looking at these positive brain waves. And what's happening in people who cultivate these is that as these electrical impulses are passing through these neural, ner nervous system bundles, these neural bundles, over and over and over again, neural plasticity is producing growth in those neural bundles. So the actual hardware of the brain is being affected. And in Mind to Matter in chapter one, <clears throat> I give the example of a TV journalist called Graham Phillips, who went into a lab before beginning an eight-week mindfulness program, took with him his whole crew, and they filmed him getting a complete workup in this lab, including a high-resolution MRI scan of every single area of his brain. And so armed with these statistics about how his body worked, how his brain worked, he then began an eight-week mindfulness meditation program. And after only two weeks, his behavior changed. He was more peaceful, less stressed. After eight weeks, he went back in the lab, and the researchers found that in only two months, some parts of his brain had grown by two, three, or four percent. But in, in this example, in this case history in Mind to Matter in chapter one, the stunning number was that a part of the brain called the dentate gyrus, which is a C-shaped sliver of tissue right in the center of the brain that helps regulate emotion, emotion throughout the brain. So its job is to regulate your emotions, calm your emotions, so you aren't angry or upset, you're more patient, you're more compassionate. His dentate gyrus in eight weeks grew by 22.8%. Now think about that, sit with that number for a moment, okay? Only two months and this crucial emotional regulation circuit in his brain, the hardware had gotten 22.8% bigger because of a change in the software. His sense of compassion, his mindfulness, the software of his consciousness was literally creating, building the hardware of his brain. And you and I are doing that every single day, every single moment. And now we're using brain scan studies to show that people have dramatic brain remodeling when they use these practices. So it starts with energy. It starts with the energy you create. In, uh, in Mind to Matter, I review the whole phenomenon of emotional contagion, about how emotions are contagious. So it's the emotion, emotion I create in my consciousness. It then spreads like wildfire around, around me. It makes your, your neighbor is 34% more likely to be happy if you're happy. And his neighbor is 
15% more likely to be happy if you're happy. This is what long-term studies show. So we're emotionally contagious and our emotions are happiness, bliss brain, being kind, being compassionate, being mindful is literally that energy of that, that consciousness of that is creating energy that is literally changing the physical structure of our brains and not gradually and not over years, over the course of as little as eight weeks, we're literally doing neural remodeling. And as you can tell, I, I think this is probably the most wildly exciting piece of science that we've come across in recent years. Mm, it's like the science of vibes. It's so, you know, most of us can walk into a room and we're like, oh, that vibes are bad in this room. I got to get out of this room. There's some, some negative energy. And I love, I remember highlighting a lot of these figures as I was reading your book, because it's like, vibes are real. And this is the science, this breaks it down. And, and it just points to the fact that we have so much control over how we show up in the world. And that makes a huge difference for how other people get to show up and experience the world. It is contagious. It is contagious. And um, as we're going through our lives, we are agents of emotional contagion all, all the way through. Often in the closing speech I give in live workshops, I, you know, I've had people with me for a day or four days or five days or however long it is. I teach all over the place like Esalen and Omega, New York Open Center, 1440 Multiversity. So I'm teaching this time, really having people be there in, in, in physical form or at a virtual workshop. But I end by often with this, with this talk about emotional contagion, about how we've spent now a day together or four days together. And now we are going to be agents of positive emotional contagion. And people feel good just being around you. Now, what happens then is that you then attract people who feel good and who have a similar emotional vibe into your life. And so um, you now have that kind, loving spouse, that kind, loving son or daughter. You have that, that coworker who is creative and productive and compassionate and, and, and emotion, has good emotional regulation. And so you can cultivate these qualities. And Holly, you just wind up having a dramatically better life when you do this. So that, that's the, where, where I go from mind to matter in this book we're talking about today to the book that isn't published yet coming out in about a year called Bliss Brain. And you acquire these blissful states in which the neurochemicals of bliss like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and beta endorphins are literally flooding your brain, bringing you into these elevated emotional states in which not only do you feel wonderful, but you trigger feeling wonderful in everyone around you as well. So that's really the potential of this work to not just affect your life, but also affect the lives of those around you. You then, then attract people who are in a similar vibrational uh, path. In Mind to Matter, we talk about resonance and frequency at the end of the book and about how you're then resonant with these people. They just pop into your, your life. One that happened for me a year ago was that um, I'd always wanted to meet Tony Robbins and share the stage with him. I just had this like, you know, just desire for a few years that I thought, you know, it'd be, be kind of cool to meet Tony Robbins, but you know, how, how would he know what, you know, about, about an obscure researcher like me? I got an email, <laughs> I got an email in, uh, in my inbox saying, would you like to speak at a Tony Robbins event? And I thought it was just a hoax, so I didn't even answer it. <laughs> oh my I gosh. Email. Yeah, I got another email saying, do you want to speak at a Tony Robbins event? And I said, emailed them back and said, well, as long as I meet Tony Robbins and share the stage with him, absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. And so I found myself a few weeks later flying to Abu Dhabi, meeting Tony Robbins, sharing the stage with him. Um, and it was just wonderful. But again, it was mind to matter entirely. I, I never 
did anything concrete to, to catalyze. I've never emailed any friends and said, said, do you know Tony Robbins or contacted anybody? So it's just, you know, it's, it's just amazing what starts to happen in your world. Even scientific um, colleagues will email me a paper and the paper is just the exact paper I needed to finish a chapter of the new book. So um, you find synchronicities. Research shows that people who do this have more clairvoyance in their lives, more telepathy, more distant healing, more synchronicity. All of these, as we are, as we are open to the universe, all of these things begin to appear in our lives. Oh my goodness. That's an amazing story. And I was sharing with you before we jumped on when your assistant emailed me and said, Dawson Church would love the opportunity to be on your <laughs> podcast. I felt the same way. I was like, is this a hoax? <laughs> does Dawson really want to be on my podcast? Oh, he does. So you magnetize in the right people. And, you know, as I've healed along my path, I found um, just that just that kind of stuff just tends to happen. And I also love what you talk about in your book about the science of synchronicity, because as my vibration has risen over the years, I find synchronicities everywhere. Numbers are always showing up on the clock, weird coincidences. And a lot of people say, oh, that's, that's just a coincidence. But you go deep into the science of synchronicity in Mind to Matter, which I just adored. You know, I was so surprised by that chapter, Holly. I'd originally when I was planning out that chapter for my publisher, Hay House, I thought, well, I'll have to give a nod to synchronicity in Mind to Matter. So I'll write a very short chapter, maybe 12 pages. I'll talk about the work of C.G. Jung, Carl Jung, who talked about synchronicity, give a few little examples, and that'll be it. Turns out that's the longest chapter in the book with the most science in many ways. And that there is, when I began to look at the science behind synchronicity, I was absolutely flabbergasted at how much there is and how compelling it is. So precognition, I mean, there are numerous studies showing that people literally have some ability to see and know the future in one massive set of studies that was done and repeated in 19 countries in something like 50 different laboratories. Um, they gave students a simple test and then later on they, uh, they, they randomized their answers into two, two uh, Two groups and gave them gave them a second uh, test. It turned out that that they had a, a significant foreknowledge of what questions they could get asked on the second test in the first test, which happened a few hours earlier. So there are lots of just huge amounts of evidence like this that's really compelling for these phenomena. And when you are in tune with the universe, so I begin and end mind matter by talking about non-local mind and about letting go of your local preoccupation with who you are, what's important to you, the, your suffering, and all of the phenomena of your life. And in meditation each day, breathing, relaxing, and blending with the non-local universe. And then at the end of the book, I talk about downloads and how we, we get, literally, we get downloads from the universe. People have, have hugely creative downloads from the universe in those meditative states. And in, in this brain, I show the research showing that those bliss brain states we, we, we are able to cultivate in meditation produce increased productivity and creativity and problem solving ability in our daily lives for at least 24 hours afterwards. So in one study, the researchers found that after people had entered that flow state, you get to meditation, they were five times as productive in their work life in, in the next few days. That's, that, that's the, the, the impact that that in, in, 
invoking this non-local mind has on our regular lives and our daily lives. Mm, five times more productive just by taking some time to meditate. Most people say they don't have time to meditate, and I know I've been guilty of saying that too. But if you can 5X your productivity, that's not really a good excuse anymore. And this was a 10-year study by the McKinsey Consulting companies. It was not a casual uh, number. Another study by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, showed that people had a 490%, almost fivefold uh, improvement in the ability to solve really difficult problems. And so we don't solve simple problems like how do I get from A to B, but then there are very difficult problems which require highly advanced creative thought and people's ability to, to solve those after they got into a flow state was improved by 490%. So you don't have time not to meditate in the morning. Mm, amen to that. Dawson, I've got one more question for you. There's been a lot of buzz going around the alternative health space of 5G wireless networks that they're starting to install and how damaging this radiation can be and the dangers of 5G. I mean, there's even been summits about it online. The buzz is a buzz everywhere about how dangerous 5G is. But I've always wondered, and you talk so much about frequency and energy in your book, so I'm hoping you can answer this for me or, or at least give your perspective. I've always wondered what's more dangerous, the actual 5G radiation or our fear of 5G affecting our own energy field? Do you, <laughs> do you have any perspective on this? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, when I was reading the research, and again, you'll see one piece of research it highlighted in Mind to Matter, and it was a review of all of the studies of the effect of energy fields on human cells from 1950 to 2015. So it's a huge number of studies and it shows what frequencies are, are, our cells are listening to and what frequencies our cells are being affected by. And it turns out that our cells aren't, aren't affected or, or don't really hear many of the frequencies out there, but it turns out that our cells are extremely attuned the frequencies of our own brains and mm. so i focused in the book in mind to matter the focus is on those frequencies that our own brains produce and for example i mentioned the the five primary brain waves so in mind to matter i talk about alpha waves the importance of alpha waves and also the very slow waves of theta and delta and it turns out that in in theta and delta certain frequencies within theta for example are doubling the proliferation of stem cells, healing cells in our bodies. Other frequencies, different frequencies within theta are triggering the strengthening of neurons and the growth of bone cells in, in our bodies. Certain very slow waves within the delta band are increasing the production of telomeres in our bodies. And so I have all the science behind each of these waves you generate in meditation. And so, Holly, what I did, look, did not look at, I, just, I had, had a look at, focus on, on these brain waves in the book, but I focused on the ones that our brains produce because our brains are producing a huge number of beneficial effects in our cells if we cultivate these waves you get in deep meditation. And I think that as far as, you know, I mean, definitely, we, you know, we, live, uh, we live in a polluted environment. There are all kinds of toxins in, in our environment that weren't there uh, 100 years ago before the Industrial Revolution, 500 years ago, um, there are all kinds of electromagnetic frequencies that surround us 
that uh, we can't see, they're invisible to us. And yet I know, I, I know for sure that if your brain waves are unregulated, it, uh, beta waves, for example, produce a lot of damage to your cells and you can control them with your mind alone. Alpha waves produce a lot of benefits to your cells. And again, you generate those in deep meditation. Theta and delta produce enormous changes in, in your, your cell health. And then the highest wave, gamma, I call it the genius wave in mind to matter. Uh, we had 36 people hooked up at a retreat this last week. And so we had three neuroscience experts there hooking up groups of 12 people at a time and we then looked at their brain waves. And gamma is the signature wave of integration and ecstasy, creativity, and really brilliant creative thought. And so we hooked people up to these, 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 these EGs, and we hooked them up before and after one week of doing this deep meditation practice I teach, and also tapping. And I, I wasn't there for the hookup, and I, I haven't got the results back from the, from the neuroscience experts in full yet, but I heard one story and it was one participant who'd had 15 microvolts of gamma, which was a decent amount of gamma in her preliminary readings. When they hooked her up again at the end of the retreat, she had 50, five zero microvolts of gamma. And so the researcher said, well, clearly this is an error. We must have a bad electrode or a bad wire. So let's, let's uh, remove the electrodes and hook her up again. They hooked her up again. She still had 50 microvolts of gamma, huge amounts of gamma. So here she's just gone to a one week retreat and her brain is functioning like a Tibetan master who spent 10,000 hours in meditation. I mean, this is the amazing thing. Science is now letting us reverse engineer those states and then train people to acquire these advanced yogic states really really quickly. And so, you know, there, there are certainly all kinds of environmental challenges out there in our world, but um, if our intuition is firing, if our problem solving ability is online, if we're producing all these beneficial brain waves in our, in our brains, which are then affecting our bodies, we're definitely going to be in way better shape physically, emotionally, mentally than people who aren't doing that. So that's your leverage point. I, I can't change what's outside my window but I can certainly change what's inside my skull. And that's going to be the focus of our attention. Mm. I tend to be on the same page. Um, I have a lot of colleagues who are really freaked out about the 5Gs and I'm, I'm not thrilled that they're here, but I'm also choosing not to be terrified of them because I know that living in that state of fear is going to make me so much more susceptible to any harm that might potentially come my way than the actual waves themselves. So I really appreciate that perspective. Dawson, it has been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your deep wisdom and knowledge. And I know everybody is going to want to go find your book and connect with you. Tell us where we can find you. How can we learn about your workshops and everything you have going on? Holly, the best place is to go to the website for Mind to Matter at mindtomatter.com because you can download the first couple of chapters there. You can see about the workshops. And also there's a link to seven free meditations, which are available to you. So you'll get a bunch of emails from me, which will give you links to those free meditations at mindmeta.com. Also at mindmeta.com, you can download 
uh, pre-copy of the EFT tapping mini manual. And in the very back of it, there's EFT on a page. Just go there, download the manual, and just, just try that method. So there are 30 different methods in Mind to Matter. I list them in the book, but the crucial ones are meditation and EFT tapping. And you get both of those at mindtomatter.com. So go there, check them out, and then apply them in your life. Again, this has hopefully inspired you to really apply these methods in your everyday life. And that's the crucial thing. It's the practice that makes the difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again for your time. We'll link all of this up in the show notes and um, EFT has made a huge difference in my life. So I'm going to encourage all the listeners to get on that read mind to matter. It's a fabulous book. Thank you once again, Dawson. Holly, let me just ask one other favor of you. Of course. Um, yeah. I, uh, I have a goal of a thousand five-star reviews on Amazon. And uh, we've had hundreds of people leaving reviews now on Amazon. And um, also the publisher let me know just a little while ago that we've had a, over 100,000 sales of the book in the first year. So it's really affecting the lives of people in wonderful ways. If you're one of those, one of those 100,000 people, or, or the 99,000 that have not yet left a review <laughs> <laughs> on Amazon.com, I really would like to ask you to do that because when it hits a thousand reviews, Amazon then will start to share this message of meditation and healing and empowerment with lots of other people just spontaneously. So we're close to that, that level now and your review makes all the difference. Absolutely. Get out there on Amazon and give Dawson's book some love. I'm going to help you manifest that Dawson. <laughs> Holly, thank you. I'm very grateful.